Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Is hair a material? Are biscuits a material? Are crystals a material? Is plastic a material? Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Are eggs a material? Is water a material? What do you call everything that isn't a material? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at your question. And yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Handmade, the making podcast with real talk about materials. I'm your host, material scientist Anna Pajajski, and this episode I'm talking to Richard Wheater, founder of Neon Workshops and maker of all things neon. Richard set up Neon Workshops back in 2009 with the aim of creating a space which specialises in the development and manufacturing of neon lighting for the creative industry. I started by asking Richard the story of how he came to work with Neon. Well, I I did go to college and, and take art, um, but I think that was the final line for my dad who'd felt that I needed to go and get a proper job and that going to art school wasn't an option, which unfortunately at that time, uh, a, a lot of particularly guys yeah uh, the, the sons of fathers uh seem to get a, a bad deal and not being <laughs> thinking they should earn the money um yeah so i was a bit despondent about that and i um i ended up just taking a string of um just rubbish jobs and my friend suggested we go on an interrailing trip because he dropped out of university which we did for a month and that totally opened up my eyes. That was the first time I'd really gone abroad, mm. uh, exploring European cities. And I felt at that point where I just wanted to be more than just a number and contribute something by the end of my life of, of notes. Um, um, and so I returned and, yeah, decided to go down the arch route anyway and signed mm-hmm. up to a foundation course. And that was in Dewsbury, uh, which is next door. And it was an incredible um, course headed up by a chap called Richard Gray, who was quite scary at the same time. He had no problems shouting at people if they uh, weren't coming up with the the goods. So as you can imagine, as a a young person, uh, you get distracted with all, all manner of things. But that was definitely... 12 months of graft Mm. putting a portfolio together which got me into Edinburgh University and uh, to study glass Um, and I realized I wanted to be there when I went on a um, well an interview really and they showed me around and it and it was 
it was surreal, really. It, it was the top floor of this hunter building and it was overlooking the castle in Edinburgh and it was snowing and it was mm. like something out of Harry Potter, but yeah. it was predated Harry Potter. <laughs> and uh, there was just people swinging around molten glass and blowing bubbles. And I thought I could definitely spend three years of my life doing this. Mm. That's how I came to be based in Edinburgh and then there was the opportunity to do an exchange to New York and I'd been excited about America and, and New York in particular since I was a kid. Maybe that stemmed from the movies I was watching but all things American I suppose and so it was a dream come true to, to spend six months over there and that's where I was introduced to Neon and it was a piece by the teacher Fred Toshida, which was called Sphere, which was simply this rotating uh, neon-clad circle, which uh, was scraping the ceiling of this high room. And uh, all students were rubbernecking as they walked by, uh, not just those interested in the arts. Mm. And I realised the influence this thing had, the power it had, uh, uh, in entertainment alone, uh, I just and yeah, the the idea of being able to create your own light. There's something godlike about that, and uh, all these things appealed. Um, returning to Edinburgh, there was nowhere to continue the interest, so I just had to pay quite a lot of money for other uh, commercial fabricators to make what I wanted. Right. So that brings me up to uh, graduating, really. And um, following the glass blowing route, I would work in various hot glass shops um, up and down the country from Cornwall to Essex, um, back up to Sunderland. Um, and I was feeling a little bit despondent because... Neon was of interest, but it just there didn't seem to be any in mm. into that industry. And uh, I just found out about Sunderland University paying people to do master's degrees. And I knew exactly what I wanted to make. But whilst I was working for people, even vaguely to do with what I'd graduated in, there was very little time maybe half a day a week where you would get to use their facilities a furnace for instance and for anyone who knows a little bit about glass blowing to make something of note you would normally need an assistant mm. which again costs money and you need an assistant that knows what they're doing um so as soon as i got to Sunderland I hit the ground running with the most incredible facilities I'd never seen anything like what they had and um, again it wasn't neon but I was acting out ideas and concepts and making um, and integrating neon that I would design and have made and I would direct neon makers Again, I went over to the States after that, took another advanced course in it. Um, and it was there in Brooklyn where the teacher said, oh, you're from England. Whenever we get 
jobs uh, to be delivered out that way. We work with the company in Leeds. I was like, no way, that's that's <laughs> where I'm from. So yeah. I had to travel over to New York to uh, discover <laughs> these people in uh, in Leeds. And yeah, um, I just knocked on their door one day and said, look, I really want to work here and I'll, um, you know, make cups of tea, sweep the floor, do anything. And um, they, I think they just liked my enthusiasm and I um, I got a job there for a couple of years and then did a bit of teaching after that. And then I decided to combine all that experience into Neon Workshops, which was, yeah, a combination of both making and teaching. Mm. Awesome. And you've been doing that now for, did you say 10 years or so? It's been up and running. Yeah. Yeah. This is our 11th year. Yeah. So we were going to have this all singing, all dancing 10 year celebration. And it was yeah. going to be the Fred Jeter exhibition, which would have been perfect. But of course, things happened in Indeed. the world. Indeed. <laughs> so you spoke about um, studying glass and glass has kind of taken you through the, your whole career, I suppose. Um, we're talking here about, well, you tell me, what are we talking about here? It's glass tubes and it's full of is it just neon gas or is it other gases as well? You know, what are your materials and processes? So traditionally I'm, I'm coming from a background of glass blowing and as far as process is concerned, glass blowing is still the most exciting thing to do. It, it, it It's so performative. Um, you've got this molten liquid that um, you're attempting to... Um, tame mm. in a way and it's constantly changing whilst it's on the end of this uh, hollow steel tube and then you're putting it back in the heat to be able to work with it again whereas neon you would refer to that as lamp working mainly or if you're uh, in america flame working mm -hmm. uh, which it's it's warm glass so you buy the tubes in straight tubes usually one and a half meter lengths various diameters and then you would manipulate them over different types of torches uh, there's usually three in a neon shop that could be a bench torch which is a little bit like um a bunsen burner on steroids mm -hmm got a ribbon burner which is specific to the neon industry which uh, creates a long narrow ribbon like flame which cool. is yeah um great for those limbo dancing parties <laughs> um but yeah that's good for slow slow bends and smooth curves and then you've got a hand torch which you would use mainly for joining glass to glass. So the, uh, the little things on the end of a typical neon tube, which are called electrodes, which uh, you attach your cable onto. So, yeah, the, 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 even though it's glass, uh, it, it's quite a different discipline. Mm. And once you've made that piece of work, that you've uh, bent and blown uh, that glass into shape, it's then which you take it to another process uh, using something normally called an electron bombarder. There, there are other methods, um, something called an oven pump, but most neon shops, uh, certainly if they're smaller these days, 
rather than the uh, big factory operations. They would use this thing called an electron bombarder, and that both heats the glass and draws out all the air to a near vacuum, mm-hmm. uh, so it cleans it as well, um, and then backfills uh, the piece with your gas of choice, which can either be neon gas, which is the uh, red, orangey colour, crimson colour, or argon gas, which is your, um, I suppose it's lilac really, but not very bright. And you mm. would use that in combination with a tiny drop of mercury, um, which some would say is the Achilles heel of the industry. Um, yeah. Interesting. Do you still use mercury then? We do. Yeah, I mean, cool. it, it's the size of a tooth amalgam though, yeah. in a piece. It's so, so small. And because neon has been around for the last hundred years, um, society has got its uh, head around how to regulate such an industry. So you have to, by law, um, recycle neon. And there's uh, contaminated neon, which is that, that that's had mercury in it, and non-contaminated, which might just be neon gas, the red, Mm. which doesn't need anything to go bright and red. Um, So it all gets recycled, which is great. Um, It tends to all go to the same place, and maybe the mercury just gets washed out and uh, redistilled and bottled for reuse, and the glass just gets pelletized. Um, 95% of the colours that we use, and, and there isn't any other sort of light that gives you such an array. I mean, neon can, as in... I keep using the word neon because that's the slang term for the industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if we're being really correct, I suppose you would call it cold cathode lighting. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't sound half as sexy or... Not quite. Uh, <laughs> sort of fly off the tongue. Yeah. As well as neon. Um, but cold cathode lighting as a phrase is a lot easier to sell to a client that's wanting to light up, say, a shopping mall. Mm. Whereas something like neon, it has all these connotations, these associations, you know, with the seedier aspect of life, uh, which mm. perhaps the client of a shopping mall might not uh, want to be part of. So, yeah, cold cathode lighting as a phrase works in some instances. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, even though we use mercury, it, it's it's very much controlled, and um, it remains within this circle of recycling and use. So I don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. I have a problem with um, its main competitor, which is light emitting diodes (LEDs), mm. which have taken the lion's share of the industry. Really, that's not the main issue because a large part of that lion's share was boring work, you know, um, lighting up um, posters or displays. So you you barely, you wouldn't see the neon itself, Mm. just the glow. Mm. It's more when LED companies call themselves neon and all the products neon. Really? Because it's compliance. And it's associating neon, which is really glass sculpture with the bonus of lighting up, with an mm. inferior product, uh, which is on the whole non-recyclable, non-biodegradable, 
Uh, it contains heavy metals also, such as arsenide, mm. form of arsenide. And these things just go straight in the landfill. During a time when we're conscious of our plastic use, I find it perverse that uh, we, we push LEDs so much and are excited about them. And it is purely about money and profit margin. It's got nothing to do with the environment. Um, the companies that offer LEDs um, uh, are just basically printing it out in cheap labor countries and mm. it's a product can be it, it changes every other month it's improved upon uh, which can be an issue if you've just you know decked out the front of your business premises with leds and several strips have gone down and you need replacements and that product's not available anymore mm. you see neon just hasn't changed it is what it is it's in the air that we breathe you're breathing in neon gas right now and and it's just there to be harnessed. And when a neon tube breaks, it just goes back into the air from which it came, waiting <laughs> to be harnessed again. So the ultimate renewable. For sure. I always thought that LEDs were so popular because of their um, energy efficiency. How does neon compare energy efficiency-wise? Yeah, it's comparable. Is it? Yeah. Uh, the difference is that LEDs are low voltage and neon is high voltage they're both very low current though which mm. is what you're paying for um so that's why you can leave a neon on the top of the building for years and sure uh it, it just doesn't really register much on the electric bill well mm -hmm. yeah there, there's other there's, there's other factors um neon is obviously fragile it, it it can be expensive depending on what you uh what your design is mm. uh, because you're paying for time really you're paying for that skilled labor to to make it um but they can if looked after last for decades mm. um, if an led eventually fails it, it it's destined for the bin whereas a neon can be fixed and uh, uh ready to go again refurbished uh, which is another reason i think why they're in some circles collectible and you can sometimes see them come through in auction if associated with the right name yeah. or place yeah yeah so speaking of making then i'm really interested in the kind of design parameters around making neon i won't just say signs i'll say you know all, all kind of the stuff that you make like the the, the sculptures the, the sculptural aspects of it the artwork aspects um what what are your design parameters what are your limitations and how flexible can you be with the shapes and the colors and what you're designing well sometimes it's the diameter of the glass which might limit you if it's a quite small tight design you may uh you would normally decide to use a narrow diameter tube just to get those tight bends Mm -hmm. uh, successfully otherwise it can start looking a little blobby yeah um if it's a very large design you would have to accept that it's going to be made over a number of sections of glass yeah that would be wired together um otherwise the the tube section would just get too big and probably break under its own weight sure even if it survived leaving the neon studio um <laughs> 
you've got it's putting a lot of pressure on those fitters that are halfway up a building or wherever to uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> keep it intact. Yeah. So those are a couple of uh, things. Um, what we found with workshops, for instance, when the general public come in who have no knowledge of uh, glass and sometimes of much about design, really, mm. they they can come up with the freshest, most novel ideas. And, uh, yeah, sometimes they test the neon maker, the tutor, um, but they can often be uh, the most interesting outcomes. Um, what we say to clients, especially artists, creatives who get in touch, we invite them here and we... We uh, show them some of the pieces that we're, we're exhibiting. And sometimes we might even just switch some of the torches on and uh, just give them an idea of what neon's potential is, mm. really. It is a material-based subject. And um, for the large part in the arts, neon has been used conceptually. So in a hands-off approach uh, where the creative has relied upon skilled craftspeople to fabricate it on their behalf. And sometimes they may not even uh, see that work until it turns up uh, mounted on the wall. And that's absolutely fine. There's not, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. We, Mm. we, uh, we have many clients that that works out, but sometimes uh, people really want to roll their sleeves up and try and push the boundaries for them uh, and and learn a bit more. And, and I think that's where we can really help because we, we've got the resources, uh, we've got the tutors and the and um, the books and and work and and um that's what's exciting i think to show people that this thing has a place in the 21st century and there's not a great deal uh i'll rephrase that there's there's still a great deal to uh to be achieved with it and to be discovered through it. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to... I'm going to ask you about the sort of future in a little bit, but first I'd like to ask you about the history of Neon. You mentioned that Leeds has a kind of local link with the history of Neon. Um, what can you tell me about how this craft, I suppose, came about? Well, it originates from science, really, uh, and from uh, UCL, University College London. Really? Yeah, yeah where two scientists, uh, William Ramsey and Morris Travis, uh, they teamed up together and uh, between them discovered neon, argon, xenon, krypton, helium. Mm-hmm. Um, and they won the Nobel Science Prize for that, but they also started to... Um, fill discharge tubes with these gases and electrify them and take note of the the colours. And those original discharge tubes are still available and they still light up. So if you're really interested, uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, make an appointment to go see these tubes. That's so cool. And uh, that was all happening. um, The first neon gas filled tube was lit by Ramsey and his team in 1898. Okay. And uh, it was actually a Frenchman, though, a guy called Georges Claude, who'd, uh, he was based in Paris, and he saw what was going on across the English Channel, and he'd already set up a company called Air Liquide, which still goes strong today. I mm-hmm. mean, it was originally set up to provide oxygen for hospitals. So as a result, to get the oxygen, you had to get rid of all the other uh, elements. So it was already generating uh, neon as a waste product. Mm. So he realized that this really vivid red light could perhaps be of interest from an advertising point of view. But his real claim to fame was developing something called emitter coating, which is a fluoride based coating that resides on the electrodes either end of a neon tube because prior to this gas filled tubes were in circulation but they lasted for weeks okay as when these electrodes came into place um with this this coating they could last years mm. decades and uh he patented this uh, invention and made a lot of money out of that patent 
because he, he ensured that it was painted to in America as well. Mm-hmm. So they were all having, for the next 25 years or so, having to use uh, George's Claude electrodes. Um, and so in 1912, he, he made the first neon sign, which is what neon is mainly associated with. Mm. It was for a barbershop. Um, no way. In, yeah, yeah, hairdressers in the Montmartre district of Paris. And unfortunately, there was no photograph uh, or there isn't any on record. Mm. I mean, they've got the taking book of the, the barbershop and uh, they know the date when it went up and it's taking just rockets. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of says it all, really. And, and a couple of years later, Cinzano, the Italian drinks company, produced a huge neon for the Champs Elysees. Mm. So yeah, by um, uh, you know the mid nineteen twenties, you had over six thousand neons in in Paris alone, the City of Light, and um, it was it was a real focal point. And the Americans wanted a piece of this action, and they commissioned Georges Claude's company to produce a couple of neons, uh, huge neons, perhaps not by today's standards, but it, they were back then mm. to get shipped all the way over to america um but not Times square which you might have expected it was all the way west over to los angeles mm. um there are recent conflicting reports now as to what the first neons were and um in in america um recently came out from um some research so it might not be the Packard car dealership in 1926 but uh it was around about that time anyway Mm -hmm. when these first neons arrived from Europe into the states and yeah it it just became a piece of cultural identity in America they it was it was the perfect time and land for it Mm. um I mean Paris is still I would say one of the best places to see neon. And there's still some very, very old uh, examples up on buildings uh, that predate the Second World War that are going strong. I mean, there's oh, right. still neons that would have been designed at the same time that the building was designed, such mm. as an Art Deco style building. The neon would have been used to accent certain shapes. Mm. But there's a really good book um, out there called Flickering Light by Christophe Ribat. And one of his phrases, uh, well, um, an example that he used was that there hasn't been another material that's influenced our culture more uh, than neon, whether that's through war, propaganda, music, movies, theatre, art, architecture, uh, retail fashion and uh yeah it's enjoyed these peaks and troughs of popularity mm. but we've we've definitely noticed over the last seven or eight years uh, um, a, a rise in interest again it's never going to be as as big and popular as it used to be um because of the competition of mm. uh, lighting formats that are here to stay yeah. But at the same time, that's not necessarily a bad thing. People are choosing neon because it's neon, not just because it's the only option. 
something nice about that. Definitely. Yeah, earlier I wanted to pick you up on what you said about the cultural influence of neon. Um, and you alluded to this, the seedier aspects of life and its associations with neon. Um, yeah. yeah, I'd just be really interested in your thoughts on kind of, I mean, you've given them a bit already on neon's influence on culture, but what did, what did you mean exactly on the seedier aspects? Well, um, certainly in America in the 50s and 60s, and it later came over to places like Soho in London, um, they, they wanted to advertise um, during the day as well as the, the evening, and, and, and neon was bright enough to do that. Mm. And also it had this, this hot... Uh, titillating uh, aesthetic about it, which just lent itself very well uh, to um, the likes of uh, strip joints and and um, yeah, bars, late night um, dive bars mm. and things like that, and and later um, I suppose takeaways. Uh, fast food joints mm. um, but some of the neons at the time were so elaborate and these nightclub owners had so much money uh, that they 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 created they were works of art so there's one remaining in Soho in London called the Raymond's Review Bar the, the bar is now I think long gone they made a film about the guy, I think Steve Coogan starred in it. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's definitely worth checking out. And um, the uh, the company that made that was um, the Braces uh, family uh, who went on to set up God's Own Junkyard in Walthamstow. Oh, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> three generations of, of neon makers there and um, they still which I think is a lovely thing they still have um, the contract to maintain that that particular piece no way that's cool <laughs> but, but Chris Bracey who was Marcus Bracey's uh, father who currently uh, is, is the main guy at God's Own Junkyard he famously once said that they'd made all the neons in Soho. Um, and uh, you can kind of believe that when you go to God's Own Junkyard, which is a, a warehouse floor to ceiling with some amazing examples. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> so it, it was struggling, yeah. It was struggling in the 60s and 70s. It had typecast. And uh, it was a company in downtown Manhattan uh, called... Um, let there be neon mm. a chap called rudy stern who wanted to put new life into the material he, he again he wanted to show architects and artists and designers that um it was being undersold mm. that there was it they they could show it in a new light no pun intended and this book um yeah, put out some great examples and um, 
it, it really did help turn things around a little bit. Um, and that that neon shop is still going actually, and it still can be found in downtown Manhattan. So as I say, there's been peaks and troughs mm. of popularity and um we obviously we neon workshops is is a uk based company it's not it's not american and I, and i've i've really tried with the way we teach and what we exhibit uh to keep a, a real balanced neutral approach to to neon mm. uh and um, for it not to have this Americana or bar-like uh, experience when when you spend time here, because uh, at the end of the day, it's just gas inside glass that's been excited by electricity, and everything else is just you know, that's that's up to you. Definitely. So it'd be awesome to hear if you've got a kind of key example project that you've done that really exemplifies what you're describing in terms of kind of getting away from all of those other associations and just really typifies the beauty, I suppose, of filling glass with gas and exciting it with electrons. Well, I come back to the very first piece of work that set me out on this journey 21 years ago, and that is Sphere by Fred Toshida. Um, Nothing can really recreate the, the glow of of neon because what what you're seeing is 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 gas being charged and it also um it also excites the the air around the glass as well um what you're seeing really through clear glass tube is is plasma mm. and that's also what fire falls into and we know we all know what we're like when we see fire or flames <laughs> where yeah. um you know we're instantly mesmerized by it and this is one of the scientific reasons why neon has become so good as an advertising medium uh, mm. and such a great demander of attention but I, I love non-text-based works in particular because they they have a universal appeal. You don't need to know that language. Yeah. And um, with with this piece in particular of Fred's, it has a double whammy. So you you see it rotating round, taking on. Uh, unapologetically the whole build the whole building really mm. and also through long exposure photography it then becomes something else it becomes this solid form mm. uh, a sphere uh which it just looks it it appears like this glowing mass of 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 light uh like the sun mm. and um it we're really excited to be showing um, a version of that, uh, which is twice as big, actually. It's six metres diameter. And wow. It's <laughs> dealing of the warehouse. And uh, it's definitely got that wow factor, but also 
um, you can sit there and and just be mesmerized by it and uh, soak it up for as long as you want mm-hmm. whilst the the gallery's open really there's the seats for you just to sit and contemplate um yeah yeah that that would be i think i would come round to that example mm. as a as a starting point uh the starting point for me and it's always been my uh my bar that i that i'm constantly trying to get over yeah in a way these two awesome um so one of the questions that i often ask the makers that i talk to is um about whether if listeners have enjoyed hearing from them and hearing about their craft where they can go to give it a go are your workshops up and running at the moment and will they be over the summer for people to book on to um there there is a mobile neon workshop that i believe is is happening um with us in london awesome and that's that's happening in the summer um our own workshops um oh yeah and that one in the summer in london is at god's own junkyard oh cool so that's (laughs) that's a real treat yeah and ours are starting back up again in september okay cool um i mean we we do one-to-ones and Mm -hmm. two-to-ones um uh mutually convenient dates but we can't really accept um uh the right numbers in our small space at the moment fair enough to just buy it and also i just it's it's just not much fun wearing a mask all day (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, i agree (laughs) yeah I'd, i'd rather just hang fire a little bit yeah fair enough what are you up to in the summer then? If you if the teaching isn't going on, what's going on? We're busy making other people's mm. work for them. Cool. Uh, and we're also putting the catalogue together for this show in September. Um, I've just come back from Cornwall, uh, where we were putting up a, a neon greenhouse uh, as part of the G7 summit. Oh, awesome! Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're making work at the moment for the artist Simeon Barclay, which is, uh, that's been funded by, um, I believe the South Bank mm-hmm. Centre. And uh, we're, yeah, we, we all, we're always spinning plates. We, we've all, always got a number of interesting little projects going on. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you um, put any of this online? It's, it would be great to kind of um, give the listeners some links to your online stuff that they can see if they can't make it up to visit. One of the best places to see work ongoing is probably Instagram. Mm-hmm. We'll upload uh, the odd project on there. And is that just yeah. Neon Workshops, your handle? At Neon Workshops, yeah. Yeah, sweet. So, Richard, I've got one more question for you, which is about the future of Neon. Um, we've spoken all about the history of it and what you're up to at the moment. Is there anything, where would you like to see it go, you know, in the rest of your career? What are the unanswered questions or new places that Neon could be taken? I would like to keep seeing it being put into the hands of those that are interested in using it. Um, so 
for art schools, universities, at, at least one in the UK to, to take up the mantle yeah. and uh, be offering it um, on its prospectus. I think that would be something I would love to encourage. And we're, we're certainly talking to one or two universities about that. There, there's interest there. Mm. Um, because I'm, I'm just excited to see what's going to come out next. And I do feel that because it's a material, it's it, glass isn't one of those things that's going to just give up its secrets willingly. You, you've, you've got to spend time uh, developing the relationship. It's not like a, a matrix pill you can swallow and instantly become a neon ninja, you know? Um, and that's one of the issues as to why neon has uh, become such a small industry now. And you've probably, well, it's on the red list on the Heritage Craft Association. You've, you've got about 20 neon shops left. And yeah. I would say a lion's share of those is being run out of a garage by one guy, probably in his mid sixties. So it's trying to, my interest in neon having a future is exciting the next generation. So we've got, um, yeah, we, we've, we've trained up a couple of young, younger people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we want to keep doing. Um, just proving really, it's relevance. That's mm. that's where I see Neon Workshop's role is um, um, being an open door to those that want to learn more about it and to uh, just to, just to push it and show what it can do. Um, I wouldn't do that if I felt that it had all been done and it was a you know it's there's still so much i mean even the combining of it with hot glass that's you know we've dabbled with it in the odd workshop in berlin say when we've been asked to go and run a mobile course at a hot shop uh that was at berlin glass Mm. And that was exciting. Again, it was just these little acorns which would could grow into something um, really special. I think traditionally in Europe, it, it's been heavy on the idea and the concept, and and less on the hands-on aspect. Oh, and interesting. I'm whereas in America, it's the other way around. It seems to be heavy on the making side, and I just would like to see a little bit more of a balance mm. certainly in the UK. And I think that's where universities can come in. If they invest in the facilities and you have these, um, these students that want to really push it and ask questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much for chatting to me today. It's been really fascinating to hear your insights. Um, it's a, yeah, a technology I've dabbled in glass blowing myself, but only for one afternoon. So <laughs> it's pretty okay. alien to me. Um, but yeah, fascinating to hear kind of your journey with neon and um, its cultural sides, its sort of um, 
influences really on on all aspects of our lives and yeah i wish you all the best in all of your sort of future endeavors and i can't wait to see where you take it next oh thank you so much um i always remember a friend of mine that runs um light bright neon in brooklyn um, a guy called matt dilling and he, and he once said to me you know what rich so much neon out there that makes you go wow uh, and so little neon out there that makes you go huh wow <laughs> so we're trying to go for the latter mm-hmm. and uh it's an ongoing journey So that was the marvellous Richard Wheater on all things neon. Thanks so much to him for taking the time to chat to me on the podcast. A reminder that my book, Handmade, A Scientist's Search for Meaning Through Making, is out now. It's available to order in hardback online and also in all good bookshops. If Kindle copies are more your thing or indeed audiobooks, then you can check out those online as well. Let me know what you think of the book or just say hello to me on social media. I'm at Anna Pajajski and that is everything for this episode of the podcast. As always, it'll be awesome if you could like and subscribe to us on all of the podcasting apps. You can say hello on social media. We're on Twitter at Real Talk, that's R-I-A-L Talk, and on Instagram at Handmade Pod. If you feel like supporting the podcast with a one-time financial donation, you can do so at support porter.acos.com forward slash handmade a huge thanks to everyone who has already done so it really does help to keep the podcast going and as always a massive thanks to alex lathbridge for the music mix next week i'll be talking to artist and designer scott eichler on his work in portraits and mixed media so until then take very good care and i'll speak to you next time on handmade A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.